That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion So Matt Uh-huh Last week we talked about songs that represent the late 2000s We did I'm wondering if I missed a big one there. I'm sure you missed a hundred big ones. Pump up kicks. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's like the catchiest song ever, right? I don't know about that, but I remember seeing the video for that and it feeling like a commercial for like living your best life or something. That was the beginning of it. You know, we talked. We talked in, in that episode we talked about like the temper trap and that sort of like you know it's it's, indie started to get a lot easier to listen to you know it was a a little bit less challenging and i think that song is like the ultimate like bridge to like what is indie now and it's like they're on atlantic or whatever it doesn't mean anything anymore indie is the absence of being clearly rap or clearly country or clearly club music like it's just if it doesn't fit neatly into any one label fucking is taylor swift indie like what does the word Mm, mean (laughs) only on folklore only on the folklore record okay uh welcome to two grouchy guys i i'm just confused i'm not grouchy (laughs) grouchy millennials oh i'm grouchy oh boy (laughs) daddy had to get up extra early to watch the toddler playlist today (laughs) all of this i was just telling you all the songs are different now we've moved on from that playlist it's a new playlist whoa whoa whoa. uh there's some Beatles still mixed in. She, Hey Jude is in there, but really only the part uh, where all the, the people na, 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 flood na in. Yeah, okay. during the live performance, she just says, people, people. So we go, okay, we skip <laughs> the whole first half of the song, go right to the ending. She knows where it's at. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating. I'm sure somebody could do an early child psychology dive into that, but <laughs> very cute. What podcast is this again? I'm, I'm all out of sorts. Two grouchy millennials, I thought it no, was. I'm no, I'm not grouchy. No, this is the Cheery Jolly uh, Losing My Opinion podcast. And in fact, I am beautiful New England fall foliage trail hiking indie artist Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas Irwin. I am crusty North Jersey denizen indie artist Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo. Not going to contradict that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and on this podcast, we come together with songs we want to share, something we, we have to say about it. Sometimes we got little arguments. Mm. We have a thesis we want to dive into or uh, games we want to play. Uh, I'm excited about this episode. Are you, uh, Thin Yes. This is, a, this is a long time coming. I'm really excited about this. We've been, we've been trying to get our guest today for a little while. Um, you know, we, lo- we love the vibe. Thomas, I'll let you do the intro. I have a, a personal connection to the work of our, our guest today. As do I. Uh, we have sitting with us today a champion of new independent artists. Uh, this guy curates and shares videos. I'm going to say still weekly, just lovely collection of intimate live performances. He is Cole Michek of Small Songs, and uh, very excited to welcome him onto the show today. Hello, Cole. Hello. Yeah, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoy this podcast. I was just listening to the, the Toddler podcast today. And I, I was telling you earlier how I can relate to that one. And I was listening to that uh, 2009 Sounds podcast as well, which 
is relevant to what we're going to talk, what I'm going to talk about later. So I'm excited um, to just be a part of this. Thank you. Um, 2009 is kind of the era that I discovered La Blagotique. I don't even, I doubt I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, you know, Cole and I were sort of talking about our mutual love of the vibe of Vincent Moon. I discovered a whole lot of indie artists through that channel and, and still really like almost prefer the, the, the quality of those recordings, even to the, to the studio recordings. That's how sort of um, embedded that music is in my mind and um, found small songs kind of through my love of that channel. And I think Cole takes that vibe and, and carries it in a whole different direction. And especially with his recent work um, overseas has just been uh, really exceptional. So um, we're happy that he's here to talk to us and bring us his own musical hot take. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I, w- I was saying earlier, I'm super inspired by Vincent Moon for sure, the the mastermind behind Blagotech. Yeah, um, the video that initially um, birthed small songs. The idea was just watching. Um, I fr- I don't even remember the song title, but it's like you know the band Villagers, maybe. Mm. Um, he, they're playing. Uh, he's playing a song at night in Paris, and it's like super yellow lighting. And small songs is very yellowy <laughs> as small well. Songs is yellow. <laughs> it's not not purely because of that, but um, just birthed this thing that I've just stuck with for like four years now. I do want to mention you're wearing a yellow shirt as well for the listener. And a, you yeah. are wearing a yellow shirt. Yes. <laughs> it's true. I, don't, I just want to say I don't like yellow up top. Uh, yeah, like I, I think it's that the, the yellow that we're talking about is like sort of like that sepia vibe. I think it's more like the thing that you both share is that dreamlike quality. Mm-hmm. Like taking indie music, putting it in a in a dream state, basically, and also the way that you film changes the way the artists are playing the music, and I think it, it gives us different versions and um, sometimes versions that are maybe even more appropriate than, like we were saying, the studio versions. So I think you both sort of have that commonality there. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The way I film in particular definitely <laughs> sometimes calls for multiple takes because I shoot with a super wide angle lens. So I get really close. <laughs> so I have to warn them, like, I'm going to get really close. And still a lot of the times they're like taken off guard by it. Um, but yeah, I think the yeah, others and I think there's an intimacy to that because I do get so close with the, with that lens. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, speaking of intimacy, Thomas is going to get up oh, close boy. and personal in our eardrums today with, his own hot take. Do you have a fun one today? Do you have a depressing one? What What are we getting? I really like the music. That's all I can say to start off here. Um, it's cryptic. Yeah, I, I am going to lead this first segment of today's episode before we hand it off to Cole. I am talking about, hmm, well, how should I present this? There, there are great songwriting partnerships throughout history. Lieber and Stoller. Backrack and David, Rogers and Hammerstein, sure, Lennon McCartney, Jagger Richards. My question for today, this, uh, this band I'm talking about and the, uh, the main two creative forces in this band, can we call them one of the great songwriting partnerships? Are they in that, that Hall of Fame, whatever that may be? That partnership of Morrissey Marr wow. and the band The Smiths. Oh, this is going to be contentious. Cole, what's what's your relationship with the Smiths, Cole? 
My wife is a huge Morrissey fan. It's like her favorite band. Oh. <laughs> um, and I also really like The Smiths more so than Morrissey, but I also like some Morrissey songs. I don't know if I have like an extensive like background knowledge on him. him. I know he's kind of like a controversial character um, <laughs> with some, uh, and he's very opinionated. Um, sure. He's got a lot of opinions, more than us, I would say even. Sure. I think he's even grouchier. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I think he cancels tours often is another trait of his that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I really like a lot of his songs. I think I'm, I'm mostly, in, I guess, separating the, the art from the artist with my, my opinion mm. there. You kind of have to with him, yeah. He's saying it up top, yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt, I'm assuming you're not a fan it's not that right. I'm not a fan. I'm not like a committed Smiths fan. Like there are songs that I like that the Smiths do. I'll say, you know, I I bought what was uh um that the compilation record when I was in high school. Half full of hollow. No, louder than bombs. Oh yeah, it's the yeah. one that has like all the singles, and I was like, this band is incredible. And then kind of since then, that's the record I like the most from them. Mm. So it's like, you know, it's the greatest hits essentially. Um, and I've ventured into their few, what do they have four albums or something like that. I've, I've ventured into their records before and you know, they're, they're good, but I've, I'm more of a, of a singles person with them. I like the big songs. I'm, I'm more of a casual fan. I like some Morrissey songs. Every day is like Sunday. You know, there, there are a couple of mm. uh, songs I like from him, but um, I think the it, it's, he's, he's a little bit of a turnoff. Um, I think a little bit, yeah, uh, yeah, and not even just as of late. I think it's just that the whole vibe, his whole the whole time, yeah. yeah. I'm not just talking. This isn't the Morrissey episode. I'm talking about Morrissey Mar, and I think Mar is more important than Morrissey to what made the Smiths so special. At least you know I'm I'm the music guy. Lyrics, if you got good lyrics, great. But the structure, the the melodies, uh, that's that's what's coming first for me and. Lightning in a bottle, Johnny Marr with you know Mor- Morrissey does his thing. He's got a pretty voice. There's no way around it. Uh, he's got some great one-liners. Just the two of them coming together, though, what a force together. And then of course Andy Rourke plays some amazing bass lines. R.I.P. I believe he just passed this year. And you got Mike Joyce on drums, and it's uh, they're a pretty damn great band. I th- I think it's it's time we we covered him for an episode. And yeah, we've not touched it yet. Yeah. We haven't. I think I might be somewhere in between Cole and you, Matt, where, well, I don't know. You sounded like uh, you might listen to some Morrissey. Morrissey solo, Morrissey without Mar, doesn't do anything for me. Mm. Even uh, Viva Hate, his his first album, solo album, like right after the Smith split, it's, I, I get nothing from that. It's, it's missing the magic. Uh, and also that kind of gives you a clue about uh, Morrissey there and his character's first solo album is called Viva Hate. That's where he's coming from. So I, I want to celebrate the, the, the band, the union of all these guys together, particularly uh, Marr. I'm, I feel emboldened to uh, make the argument that Morrissey and Marr, they got a special place in songwriter partnership history. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm on the same page with you and for the most part, Thomas, I think um, Morrissey, uh, like uh, alone, is like there's like a, like two songs that I like. But then like once Mar joins in, 
I feel like I can listen to the record in full and enjoy the whole thing because mm-hmm. I'm like listening to the sounds more so than just Morrissey and his voice and the, and the vocals. So uh, I'm I'm on the same page with you there. It's the texture, right? Exactly. It's it's the texture it creates. I mean, otherwise it sort of veers into just like almost like spoken word <laughs> kind of music, but like like song, obviously. But like you know, this the, the, those songs are so chock full of lyrics and ideas and it can it can only exist on top of that bed of yeah. music that Mar creates otherwise it's just uh would be kind of chaotic right it uh it loses a little oomph i mean but before we go too much further here i think we should uh to get into the spirit of all this we should listen to it smith song now and i'm not going to reinvent the wheel let's check out uh heaven knows i'm miserable now yeah I take it both of you are familiar with this tune? Yes, yes. Yeah, I was a depressed 15-year-old. Yeah, I listened to the song. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this music has never sounded depressing to me. Like, I'm aware that Morrissey was probably a depressed guy, but I just hear, like, dry humor and playfulness in their music as a whole. Yeah, his his sense of humor, I think, is what makes it so good. A lot of his lyrics are jokes, or, like, kind of serious, but also jokes at the same time. Yeah, very like self-aware almost. Like I know how I come off singing this kind of stuff. Oh, you think I'm mopey, but mm. we we got to dig into the tune here, and then we'll uh, we'll dissect further. But th- this song has it all. I was looking for a job, and then I found a job, and heaven knows I'm miserable now. That's a that's a winner line. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, I've used the Smiths in the same way I've used the Cure in my life, which is just like fun downer yeah. music. That makes I, sense. I actually just recently saw this this meme, I think, of uh, something along the lines of a Morrissey saying how much he loves Robert Smith and The Cure and how he's a big fan. Or I think he has like a, a picture on the wall of The Cure, and then and then there's like a quote of Robert Smith saying how much he hates Morrissey, <laughs> which is funny <laughs> because like they're like in the same kind of I guess genre and time period mm-hmm. and. One loves the other, and the other one hates the other one, I guess. It's like, fuck that yeah. guy. Yeah. Mar was 21 recording this. I was happy in the haze of a drunken hour, but heaven knows I'm miserable now. I was looking for a job and then I found a job And heaven knows I'm miserable now In my life Why do I give valuable time To people who don't care if I Another great line And Lear, you have also said that you don't like Jangle Pop. Uh, it's that I don't like it overall. The quality that I don't always dig is the fact that the melodies aren't always memorable because the music's so busy and there's just like lyrics happening over the top. And that's, I think, what we're kind of talking about, right? Like, I don't know how many of Morrissey's melodies are super memorable. It's the complete piece. 
Cole, where are you at in all this? Um, I'm a fan of that song. I think the Smiths have just like that sound. I don't know if what exactly it is that makes it so much better, in my opinion, than a lot of the Morrissey songs. I think it's like it sounds slightly more like synthetic, I guess. Maybe there's like some slight like synthesizer usage or something that fits more like the, the production touches. Yeah, like the the 80s vibe with the synths and stuff versus just purely like the sound of an electric electric guitar and drums. Um, and I think that's probably thanks to Mar, those like sounds um, adding to the vocals and like making it like a very specific thing. Because I think that's one of the things that I really love about musicians when like they have like a very distinguishable sound you can recognize. Mm, like right away. Yeah. And it's they have like a trademark. Yeah, like he's one of those artists that it was the best, I think, with like that time period because like it all came together. But like even now, like Morrissey is still making music and he still has that like it's probably just his his voice, but something distinguishable about it, regardless of all the changes in music that keeps happening. But I think that was my favorite time period right there. Morrissey does have one. Yeah, I agree with everything Cole just said. I, I, Morrissey has one record that I did kind of glom onto. I forget what it's called. It came out. Uh, he's got he's got a like a Tommy gun oh, on right. the cover. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it has some decent songs on it. I remember... Enjoy. You are the quarry, and there there were some tunes on it that I I did enjoy. First of the gang to die. I'm thinking like, oh, this is pretty good. But it, more so, like it just kind of reminded me to re- listen to the Smiths again. Yeah, you know? he's he's a compliment to Mars writing and Mars playing, and he he like his puzzle piece fits in great with what's going on with the guitar. But I don't know, and it's his voice is pretty. But it's also like he always just sings four notes. And, right. you know, great lyrics can only do so much if the the rest of the songwriting isn't quite there. And it's just like, I don't, he he needs Mar. I don't know if Mar needs him, but he needs Mar. That's always been my feeling. Uh, you know, Johnny Mar went on in his career to work with everybody, joined with the group Electronic and The The and other extremely hard to Google bands, and I don't know, played with Beck and Modest Mouse, and he has kind of a sterling reputation, right, as being yeah. like a just true blue collaborator. You know, he's able to kind of fit into a bunch of different places, kind of like um, you know the way the fellows from the Clash kind of work with different people every so mm. often. Yeah, this is uh, convenient. It, it seems like everybody's on my wavelength here. I was I wasn't sure how receptive you'd be today, Thin Lear, but. Yeah, this I think all, you uh, think I hate Jangle Pop more than I actually do. I'm just not okay. in love with it the way that you are. Such a joyous sound. Well, uh, moving right along, the next couple tunes, I'm not going to lie. I'm just, we're going to look at The Queen is Dead now from 1986. That's really the, the nucleus of my Smith's appreciation. But, of course, they are such a, a singles band. Like, they had four studio albums in, like, a span of five years, but then, like, three albums worth the singles on top of that like compilations and it's nuts they were so prolific mm. but the queen is dead that's probably i think if you're getting into the smiths that might be the safest place to start this is probably my favorite smith song coming up here uh the boy with the thorn in his side yeah it's really good we're not we're not button heads at all here we're just all grooving to these no this is not a contentious thing you know you want me to <laughs> yeah. say i hate it 
<laughs> for, or are they? Can we can we still call them one of the the greats? Can we put them up there with? Uh, no, I I wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, we can't do that. <laughs> so okay, I would not do it because I think you know we're gonna, you're going to put it up like. I think we can put them up there with Jagger and Richards at least. I I think so. <laughs> we're talking about numbers, St- uh, stature, uh, legacy, like the impacts. heights they achieved. Yes, mm. yes. I feel like someone's doing a lot of heavy lifting in that relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's Mar. Do you think Mar's doing the heavy heavy lifting in this in this relationship? Yeah, yeah. I think Morris is the personality. He's the megaphone. I think Mar is the quality. Yeah, Morrissey can only do like one thing. Just he's very limited, and that seems to be why they broke up. Is Mar wanted to expand and try other stuff, and be, Morrissey had no flexibility. It's just the it's the same approach, the same tone. Like he didn't, you know, it, it never seemed like he he moved on from that. Yeah, what that's that's the thing that I think that makes. Um, it's him so special is that he's so crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just got his own world. Yeah, he's got on, his yeah. own. He's got his own thing. So, um, yeah, I feel almost like embarrassed to be a Smiths and Morrissey fan because because of the controversial things. Um, but but I don't know. <laughs> but good let's stuff. listen to the boy with the thorn in his side and and just. It's it's impossible to let this go. This is just uh, all-time great pop music here. Song is apparently about the music industry. His vocals are great. I would also totally enjoy an instrumental version of this. That said, I might want to skip ahead to the part where he starts yodeling. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Let's see if I can find that here. doing this in the 80s. Cole, does your wife have like a favorite Smith song or a certain album that gets played the most? Or Yes. Um, I think it's Hairdresser on Fire, or not Smith's, Morrissey. She's actually a Morrissey person. 
and I'm more of a Smiths oh, person. So her favorite Morrissey song is Hairdresser on Fire. But I don't, yeah, I don't even know, think she really cares too much about the Smiths, surprisingly. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, I don't know, there's like such a distinct Smith sound. I can't even quite figure out like what's going on production-wise right. that makes it so like, I get, it sounds maybe more like lighthearted and like poppy, yeah. maybe. Airy. Airy, yeah. And it's like consistent through most all the songs, I feel like. I I would love to pick her brain on why she prefers Morsi over. over That's this a hot stuff. take. See that if you came in with that take, then we would butt heads more. I think. Yeah. I would go wake her up, but she's she's sleeping in the other room with, with the toddler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> babe, babe, listen. And she's not even like a big music person. <laughs> so oh, it's like so it's like e- really... it's like even more of like a hot take because she doesn't like listen to that much music. Well. Maybe we'll wrap things up here with one of my other top favorite Smith songs. I don't know. Maybe this is like uh, you can play this for her sometime and be like, really? Morrissey solo over over this? You can get her thoughts more on that. But I just, this tune has always been magical to me. Uh, Cemetery Gates. Mm. I like how jangly this one is too. I always have trouble with their song titles, you know, because they're endless. True. And you're just like, wait, which one is this again? Oh, yeah. I dread it's sunny day, so I meet you with the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. I dread it's sunny day, so I meet you with the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. Wild, wild, wild is on mine. So we go inside and we gravely read the stones. All those people, all those lives, where are they now? Gravely read the stones. And hates and passions just like mine. They were born and then they lived and then they died. Seems so unfair. I want to cry. You sir throws the sun down salutation to the dawn. And you claim these words as your own. But I've read well and I've heard them said. A hundred times, maybe less, maybe more. If you must write pros and points, the words you use should be around. Don't plagiarize or take on loan. But there's always someone somewhere with a big nose who knows and trips you up and laughs when you fall. Will trip you up and laugh when you fall. This was uh, nice, surprisingly peaceful segment overall, I guess. Uh, if, if any, if there's anything I want to have folks take away from this today is, you know, it's it's fine to have real problems with Morrissey, to just be put off by him, not be interested in his his solo catalog at all, really. But don't don't let it keep you from enjoying the the majesty of the partnership with Johnny Marr. And and what went on there? Some of the just the greatest, some of the greatest guitar pop compositions for my money. That's that's it. That's that's my uh, my in conclusion there. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Cole, what have uh, what have you been listening to this week? Losing my opinion. I have some uh, something to bring in today to share with y'all. Something that came to mind, since I'm actually a bit more of a movie guy than a music guy, is um, 
some of my favorite music slash movie scenes ever. And I'm curious what you guys' takes are, takes are on these and like how you feel about it's these. Because these are just like my some of my favorites um, ever. And I'm curious what you guys think. Or, and I'm also curious if you guys have like favorite movie movie slash music scenes um, that that like come to mind. Oh yeah, oh, I yeah. do. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've not Lots. gone down this road too often, so this is good, Cole. This yeah. is an exciting one. Yeah. So you mean like moments in movies where a song is like prominently playing and like accompanies what's going on? Yeah, where it just like it fits like really well. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my jam. I'm all about that. I I am a big like movie nerd too. So that that's was that's always been an aspect of enjoying film that excites me for sure. Uh, and there's certain directors who really lean on that totally. and like specialize in that. It feels like. Yeah. Yes. So I think Matt is a fan of Leonard Cohen, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. Matt worships the ground that Leonard Cohen stands on. <laughs> yeah. I love him. So if you're if you if you're open to it, first I'd like to share a scene from the 1971 film McCabe and Mrs. Mrs. Miller, directed by Robert Altman. The opening scene oh, features man. the song. What is it? Songs of Leonard Cohen is the album. the The movie features three different songs from that album, but they play oh, like the Stranger song. The Stranger song. That's the song. Yes. And these songs like work as like themes throughout the movie. I learned later mm-hmm. on that um, I was just reading an article about it recently because I just fell in love with the movie instantly. Mainly, I think because let the Leonard Cohen songs just like play throughout the movie, and they like repeat the same songs over and over again. Even though the album came out before the movie came out, it's not like like a typical film score where they'll make the movie and then the the soundtrack will uh, fit the the whatever's happening in the movie it was it worked the other way around the director was like i think while he was editing he was listening to these leonard cohen songs and he was super inspired and he like realized that like a lot of the plot lines were like fitting some of the song lyrics of these leonard cohen songs um so first i was just going to show that the, the first scene from that movie is it just like immediately sets the vibe and like I knew like f- from like the the font of the opening title credits to like the the look of the film and then especially the stranger song playing as the cowboy enters the scene is like I was instantly hooked and really lo- and knew that I would love the movie just like from the first first scene so let's let's share that one let's oh, do yeah. it I know Altman is you know pretty skilled at that combination of things there's a movie from him i've never seen uh i think it's called nashville uh, and i always wanted to see it and i am I'm imagining in my brain that you know he does that similarly in that movie because it's so music centered but uh i've not seen this film i've seen a lot of altman's work but not this one so i, I do want to check this out I, don't, I, I listen to this leonard cohen album songs of leonard cohen more so than any other Leonard Cohen songs. I think mainly just because I like this movie so much and it fits so well together. Mm. So it like the visuals match the audio. Um, the other interesting story that I recently read about is when Altman reached out to Leonard Cohen to use his songs in the movie, Leonard Cohen was like, who are you? I don't know who you are. And then, and then he realized that just that day he had watched his first Altman movie and he was like in love with it. So it's cool, like how the universe works that way sometimes. Wow. That like 
he probably wouldn't have let him do it if he hadn't watched an Altman movie that day. Very strange. Very fateful. I'm in the same boat as Matt where this movie's been on my radar for a while. I haven't yet seen it. I've seen other Altman. I know people love this one. This is, if anybody else isn't as familiar, this is like a Western about a brothel. Exactly. Pretty much, yeah. And it's like a character study or something. So Leonard Cohen, there's a desolation in that sound there. Uh, much like the uh, the landscape of the old Southwest, so that I, I could, I'm already seeing in my head how this would be a a good pairing. And it's like it's also like a parody on a Western in a way, because typically Westerns you picture like you know like Utah and like cowboy hats and horses and stuff like that. But this is like it takes place in Washington, where it's like super green and lush. And the main character also wears a top hat instead of a cowboy hat. Warren Beatty's character. Ah. Hmm. And this is the opening scene. Yeah, I am very excited to to see what's going on here. It's true that all the men you knew were dealers who said they were through with dealing every time you gave them shelter. I know that kind of man. It's hard to hold the hand of anyone who's reaching for the sky just to surrender. Who is reaching for the sky just to surrender? I'm fucking in already. And These then sweeping up the jokers that he left behind, you find he did not leave you very much. Not even laughter. Like any dealer, he was watching for the car. It is so high and wild, he'll never need to deal another. He was just some Joseph looking for a manger. He was just some Joseph looking for a manger. And then leaning on your windowsill, he'll say one day. I mean, I can sit here and listen to this entire record. <laughs> can we pause the podcast so I can go watch this movie? Yeah, this I'll looks back amazing. Yeah. What what a um what a teaser for like the rest of the film like it really hooks you in desolate desolate is the word yeah and there's a lot of intrigue you're like you know what's up with this fellow and and you you hear it there the lyric is like he's just some joseph looking for a manger and i think the plot yeah. line is like he's he's heading to this brothel for some reason searching for something and then he like gets into this relationship with one of the ladies at the brothel hmm. um so like that's what's super interesting is how like the lyrics of those Leonard Cohen's uh, songs like accidentally were like so fitting for like the the screenwriting of the movie. Hmm. West Westerns usually have great music. I don't know, maybe something about the genre, the sense of space. I'm thinking about like, you know, all the Sergio Leone mm-hmm. movies, of course, mm-hmm. the Neo Morricone soundtracks, like it's just peanut butter and jelly. Totally. And then Leonard Cohen, I feel like in particular, also like subvert, subverts the genre slightly because he's like not your typical like country country dude. It's a little bit more like <laughs> stripped back. Um, which and fits, surreal. Yeah, and yeah. surreal. Uh, I we should just do this kind of segment every week. This is <laughs> this is my jam. What 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 do we have next cool. on the list? So next up on the list, let's do um, the closing scene from Napoleon Dynamite. Featuring, <laughs> I don't remember what this is. <laughs> featuring Forever Young, 
by Alphaville. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which um, Napoleon Dynamite was my favorite movie growing up. It's what like one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to be a director was like the feeling I had leaving the theater with this song playing after you know such a funny, unique film, um, and the the lyrics of the song again like, and the vibe of the the sound happening in that song like fits so much with like the message of the film, I guess. A lot of people think, I think Napoleon Dynamites is just like this like whimsical comedy with, with no meaning to it, but it's just about right. um, finding friends. I think no matter how weird you are or wherever you are, this song really nails that, that message through, I think. 11 year old me definitely could have quoted pretty much like every scene from the movie to you. Throw the slip wall over those mountains. <laughs> I was quite into that movie. I, I rewatched it like last year and it definitely holds it up. up. It's yeah, an all yeah. time. And like just a, a ragtag group of whoever's out of Idaho make a smash blockbuster, like just an awesome indie success story too. Uh, yeah, just great all time comedy characters. And you're right, like it really has a heavy emotional side, like you're growing and like struggling with these characters as they mm-hmm. do really dumb things in some parts. Oh, yeah, so this is like uh, he's playing tetherball with Tina. Exactly. No, wait, Tina's the, oh, Tina's the donkey. Tina's the what llama, her name? yeah. Um, yeah. Eat the food. Uh, her name was Deb. Deb. The actress's name is Tina. Oh, interesting. Maybe the llama was named after the actress. But, um, yeah, this I, I, I love the whole soundtrack to this. Again, it's like this, that's that 80s synthetic sound. That I love, uh, you know, like time, time will, time will tell. Cindy Lauper, time after time, time after time. Cindy Lauper, yes, is another great moment. The original score by John Swihart, I think, was his name. I think I had that album for a while. There's some some good jams on it. Yeah, the whole thing is solid. Let's check out the ending. So, for people who haven't seen the movie or don't remember, we're just getting a slow zoom out away from uh, the main character Napoleon. And uh, his new friend, Deb, and they're just having a sweet, uh, lovely moment playing tetherball together. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I got the song wrong. This is, this is The Promise. Oh. <laughs> Different song. Same feel. I think in the fade out, he, he, he makes it, yeah, he punches it all the way around. Right, yeah. Like, vigorously. Oh yeah, going for the kill. Fun game. But yeah, the Forever Young, I realized, I think that's the song they dance to when he like feels right, her the sleeves. And then the promise is this song, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. 
which is different. But when in Rome, yeah. I don't know them. I guess another '80s band. I think that's the only "When in Rome" song I've heard. I'd probably like their other songs too, but just another great cinematic moment, I think. Yeah, it's it's like funny and goofy. You know, he's like just totally beating her at this tetherball game, and it just looks really one-sided. But also, like it's a sweet moment as like an emotional underpinning. Um, I forgot about that particular tune in there, and the whole thing. It's like, yeah, what time period does the movie take place in? Because uh, it's it was made in 2004, but the style is like the late 80s. But mm. that's just because people in Idaho were like exactly. 10 years behind or something. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it's pretty fun. It's just another example of like the lyrics in a song that has like nothing to do with the movie, or like that song was made before the movie was made. But like those lyrics in the song fit so well, like the the message of the film, which I think is it's such cool, so cool to pair a scene. With a song like that, it shows, I think, just how like timeless music can be, um, and relatable when paired correctly with with some other form of art or experience. The first thing I thought of, Cole, when you brought this up, was um, Alfred Molina. Um, you fucker! That's what I thought of. Sister Christian at John C. Riley and um, Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights. You mm-hmm. know, doing the piano. <laughs> That's motherfucker, I mean, get out of my head. Like That's what I was gonna say. Tops for me. Oh yeah, but for that uh Jesse's girl mm. leading into that too, the whole that the whole there. Yeah, that yeah. whole segment is like yeah. <laughs> when the character himself like stops and starts like mm-hmm. uh pretend playing along. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson knows how to weave in a song, that's for sure. Yes, that's another director for sure. Um all right, let's let's jump into the next the next scene if you'd like. We'll do um this this is what I was saying earlier, the 2009 like sound from their last podcast. I found it interesting because both musically and like film-wise, that era, the like 2000s, the next one I'm going to do is Juno and Napoleon Juno was 2007, I think. Napoleon Dynamite was 2004. Mm. I think that era of like um entertainment for me, maybe it's because I was like a kid. So like all the information was like inspiring me more at that point mm-hmm. in time. So these movies and songs had like huge impacts on me that like that resonated. So it's interesting to like look back at that time period now and like try to try to decipher like what the what the common themes are, like musically and also mm-hmm. with movies. Um, but we can hop into um, the closing scene from Juno. This soundtrack was huge too. Like people bought this on CD. I seem to remember here, Moldy Peaches, and uh, I actually don't remember what the closing song. Yeah, I've never seen this movie. This. I've never actually seen it. I think oh. it's which is a, crazy. I, th- I think <laughs> I was wrong last time, but the, I think it's Moldy Peaches. Anyone else but you is like the original band who. Mm. Um, wrote and performed this song, but um, Elliot Page and um, Michael Sarah uh, do a rendition of it. I say Elliot Page because I'm, I'm reading the, the, uh, the memoir right now, which is... Oh, yeah, my wife was reading that, yeah. Which is super interesting. So it's been cool to look back at this history and go back and, and see uh, how, what Elliot's thoughts were on, on this Juno era. But mm. let's, let's hop into this one. 
part-time lover and a full-time friend The monkey on your back is the latest trend Don't see what anyone can see in anyone else Another ending with a slow zoom out True This reminded me of our, our Sailor Down episode We were talking about Twee And I had this in my head I think this sounds Sailor Down corrected me it's Like not just this But this is like, I heard so many covers of this in yep. high school. People were enamored with this sound. Didn't Michael Sarah go on to release like more music or am I making that Yeah, up? he's got a, yeah. I think he even did like a Sharon, Sharon Van Etten like uh, a collab. And he's got like a couple EPs, I think. Maybe you know more than me. What, what all Michael no, Sarah's done musically? No, that was just like in the bottom of my brain, remembering that, that fact. But I'll have to maybe we'll save it for one of our actors who make music episodes. <laughs> he came out with a, a, a cover of um, this Blaze Foley song, Clay Pigeons, recently. I don't know if it was recent, but it's it's you know kind of exploding on social media recently. It's very oh, good. Cool. Um, so after. So I was going to say Alfred Molina with the Firecrackers, uh, but after that got taken by Thin Lear, another one coming to mind just off the dome here. Uh, I don't know if you've two have seen the movie Jackie Brown, mm-hmm. but the scene where yeah. Samuel Jackson has to uh, take care of Chris Tucker. You know, they're criminals and he he might uh, snitch on him, so he has to preemptively like... Uh, take him out um and then that's the song strawberry letter 23 the brothers mm. johnson cover while he's like driving you know just down the block to get somewhere quiet and secluded and chris tucker's been tricked into like hiding in the trunk that that anything with songs with driving i'm a sucker but that moment was really cool totally yeah but we got one more to uh close us out here another uh iconic cinematic uh music pairing yeah let's let's end with um the climactic scene from the 1936 movie uh, Modern Times from Charlie Chaplin. This one's interesting Whoa. because... Throwing us back, Cole. Yeah, I'm a big Charlie Chaplin fan as well. But this one's particularly interesting for like the music, the sound and visual combination because um, he was so resistant to making talkies because um, I think talkies oh, like right. first happened in like... 1927 or something and he was already super popular in the early 20s and making lots of silent films and um people and he didn't want to like transition into like having dialogue in his movies but i think this is the first time in this scene um where he verbally speaks his tramp character and he does it through like a nonsensical song that's like kind of using like different languages um, so it's a super classic scene in cinematic history, which is mixing music with with set, uh, music with visuals, and then it, it and then it went from there. I think a lot of people, a lot of directors, have been super inspired by this moment. And um, let's check it out. Yeah, I I saw like all his classic movies when I was a kid, and I remember this one. It's like a hybrid talkie. Like it, it presents itself as a silent movie, but then, yeah, it surprises you with the scene near the end. And uh, I remember this one being my favorite of his mm-hmm. 
back, like the scene where he's like getting caught up in all the gears, uh, obviously beyond iconic uh, moment in movie history, but I have not seen it in forever, so I totally forget uh, what this, this song's all about. Does it have a name? I don't even know um, if the song has a name. It's just nonsense song. Yeah. Matt, you seen any Chaplin? Only, you know, snippets here and there. I have, whenever I see it, I am always sort of marveling at how uh, incredible his movement is and how seemingly impossible the shots are because it's just like <laughs> there's nothing they can, they have, they're so limited in what they can work with and it, and it looks very difficult. And if you want, you can skip like the first minute and a half or so once he gets out on the stage, just when he does the song. This movement. Everybody's like, come on, dude, start singing. <laughs> this is like reverse prison call in 89 Chuzo. He's doing fake Italian. He's just doing funny dances now. Signora Pilasina, voulez-vous la taxi meter? He's got a pretty good singing voice. Is that him? Is that actually him? I'm pretty sure. I know he actually composed the song, the orchestra too. Jeez. Oh wow! So he was. Yeah, he could do. He it. was a bit of a doing all the things: acting, writing, directing, making the songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a force of nature. Yeah. So is that for you? Like you love that because of its place in kind of the history of cinema and how he had to evolve as an artist, or yeah, I think so. Both of the both of those things. Um, it's yeah, it's especially interesting because of that idea of like that we get in our heads of like as an artist, like we only do this one thing, and he was really successful at making silent films, um, but then. Eventually, he, you know, caved in, I guess. But I think that was a good thing because that's like one of the most iconic Chaplin scenes that that people know of that still like lives mm-hmm. on today. So it's cool, like, I don't know, to like see how someone being so stubborn can like change their mind and it can it can work. Um, and then I just that's I just love music movie combinations. And that's like one of my favorites right there. Yeah, just like songs, you can appreciate them already, but if you get them in a scene that really makes them pop, like it just comes alive so much more. And then that can be like what you think of when you hear the song, you know, separately when you're not watching the film. And yeah, it's just an endless, it's too bad you got to pay for the licensing or whatever, because I I like, I want all my movies to just constantly have songs I know in them, Hmm. but it's not really feasible. Yes, yes, I've had that same issue. For sure. I realized that at some point that I can't just use whatever song I want <laughs> and, and in my edits. When I was a kid, I was like, why don't they just do that? And then, oh, right, you got to pay for the rights. Yeah. And okay. 
What do we learn today, though? Oh, geez. Uh, How do we educate ourselves? We learned that we that you still think I hate Jangle Pop more than I do. Yeah, I guess your argument that the Morrissey and Marr are up there with the heavyweights, which I don't know. I don't know that we landed on a conclusion there that was sufficient, but mm. you put it out there. I'll play more of The Queen is Dead for you. Um, Cole, you happen to learn anything yeah, today? I think I think I learned why I like the Smiths more than Morrissey. I think I didn't have a, a good appreciation for for Mar. I think I was giving all the credit to Morrissey, and uh, that's not fair of me. Well, he certainly likes to take all the credit yeah. and all the attention. I mean, he was a cutie back in the day. We we can't get ourselves here, but. Uh, I learned I got to throw on McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That was immediately sucking mm, me in. Yeah, I'm excited to check out that movie. I always tell myself, oh, I need to watch more Robert Altman movies. Because every time I see one, I'm like, that's great. And yeah. then I just don't. Um, well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you run the Small Songs channel on YouTube and, and Instagram. But uh, any anything else, you or, or Matt, if, if anybody wants to plug anything at this time, let folks know what you got going on. Cole, what's coming up on Small Songs? I was talking to you earlier about those uh, Turkish musicians that I w- I'm filming. I think it's been really inspiring for me to step outside of my comfort zone um, and talk to people and listen to different kinds of sounds musically. And um, so in the coming month or so, there will be some small songs from Paris and and Turkey. Mm. So... Um, I'm excited to share those artists. What I've been doing recently that's been really great is uh, talking to the musicians, not just filming them. Like usually I'll do a session and then I'll like sit with them at a cafe and we'll talk for like an hour. And it's just like the coolest thing to like get to know people who are different than you and uh, see where you connect and how, how you're different. So keep an eye out for those sessions. I want to go to Europe again. Um, if you like this episode of Losing My Opinion, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. You can follow us uh, at Losing My Opinion on Instagram, TikTok, or X. X. Zitter. And uh, yeah, more scene, Mar. Put them up there with Jagger and Richards. Lennon McCartney's a little bit beyond, but you know, let's, let's throw them all in the same pot. I, th- I think we can do it at this point. You can do it. I could be wrong now. But I don't think so. That's all right. That was shit. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't good. No, you I got can, the you breathy, can do it better than that. I know the, you can. Uh, maybe next time. We'll give it a try. Well, I, I got to be singing three notes or two. Yeah, there's too much range uh, over and in over. that impression. Yeah. And I'll say, so long, suckers. We will see you next week.